Hopefully one of the things you've learned about me over the years that I've been here is that my goal each Sunday is to bring you the Word of God, is to just bring it to you as it is, as I have studied and understand it, as I believe the Bible clearly instructs our lives. And there are so many passages of Scripture that I tend to move toward or gravitate toward. I do my best. I want to be encouraging to you every Sunday. I want to be able to bring you God's word in a way that will uplift your life and give you the strength and power that you can have to go on with what we face in this world. Additionally, and in a similar vein, I have an obligation to bring the word of God even when it touches our lives in a way that would be clearly called conviction. How many people love to be convicted? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Because... We like messages that can basically bring comfort and soothing, and there's nothing wrong with that. But there is much in God's word that basically comes into us and says, get right. And we do those things, that, and and I bring that word with the same uh, power, hopefully, and with the same conviction and commitment on my part to be able to be one who can stand before God and say, I've done what you've asked me to do. If anything can be called a disclaimer before the message I'm about to preach, it was what I just said. John chapter 5. My subject this morning is honor the son. Now, it's important to keep in mind this passage, we need to understand what caused the encounter we're about to read. Jesus, we talked about last week, healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. He told him after healing him to take up his bed and walk. And he told him to, and he healed him and told him to do that on the Sabbath day. This act, which is followed by many others, begins a chain of events that we will see throughout the Gospel of John that lead the religious leaders to be, start conspiring against Jesus, even to, to the point of wanting him to be killed. They threw aside the miracle of healing because they wanted to focus on a broken man-made rule. And because it was their broken man-made rule, we need to understand going deeper, that was also their power. Most people understand that when someone puts a rule that they want you to follow, it's because they want to exercise power over you or control. Many times it's for our own safety, but there are other motives as well. This is the setting as you go into this encounter, following this healing that is beginning to start the process of resentment to grow from the religious leaders toward Jesus. And it will continue to grow from here. John chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse number 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work, to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Verily, uh, very truly, I, I tell you, the son, of God, uh, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all 
he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear this voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to, uh, to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. We'll stop there. There are so many key principles and so many deep themes in those verses that are paramount and vital to the Christian faith. And I'm not going to cover them all. It would be here for a while. I'm going to cover and highlight two of them. And the two I want to cover today is two truths, that God is still working today. He hasn't fallen asleep. God is still working today. And the second one is the one that and both of them people in our world have trouble with. But the second one they have a lot of trouble with, all must come through Jesus. God is still working today. Verse 17 says, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, verse 17 begins with it being declared by the gospel writer that this statement was made in his defense. This is not a formal trial, but he's being accused of something. He's being accused of breaking their man-made rules and their man-made traditions. And not only breaking them himself, he's being accused of encouraging someone else to break them when he told the man who had been healed to take up his mat and walk. Last week, we saw in Exodus chapter 20 why they were so strict and so focused and so committed when it came to the Sabbath. Exodus 20, beginning in verse number 8. Remember the Sabbath day to, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. The Sabbath and the whole concept of, of, of rest versus work was paramount to what they believed about God. Yet there was this misunderstanding about what constituted rest. And it's similar today, as it pertains specifically to God. They believed that on the seventh day of creation, that God rested. There's reason for that. The Bible says it. 
But in their understanding of resting, they took the, the leap, from my perspective, that that meant God stopped working. I'm here to tell you, God has never stopped working. Throughout church history, there have been those who believed that God somehow was distant and afar off and has stopped working. They kind of looked at it from the analogy of a watchmaker. Watchmaker gets all the pieces together and puts a watch together, assembles the gears so that they will function the way they are, and then sets them in motion, winds it up, and then walks away. And it kind of functions on its own. And many people today believe that God established laws. He formed the universe. He put all the elements in motion. He created everything. He put it into motion and then stepped away. That's not the God that you and I serve. This idea leads to the belief that somehow God is disengaged from life today or that he is remote and afar off. But that's not the God that you and I serve. Yes, on the seventh day of creation, God rested from his initial work of creation. Thankfully, for all of our lives, his work of sustaining creation has never stopped. He sustains us, and we are still alive and well. If he stopped holding the universe together for one moment, we would all perish in an instant. We would unravel. God created all things, and he sustains all things. In the book of Acts, when Paul was talking to the, those who were in the city of Athens on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, to their philosophers about God's active role and place in the universe, he begins in verse 26, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not afar off from any one of us. In verse 28 is my main point. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Verse 28. In him we live and move and have our being. Every breath that I take, is because Jesus is still working and alive today. Every thought that I'm ever possibly able to think is because Jesus is still working and is alive and well today. So many people today believe that nature and the universe, it's kind of on its own, operates under its own steam and its own power, and nothing could be further from the truth. Everything that is running, everything that is moving, everything that is happening is because God has decided to keep us going, and we thank him for that power. They believe that things happen in life because it's their own lives. I decide what I do. I decide whether or not I go here or there. The Bible has a word for that, fool. I thank God every day that I wake up because I only do so because of him. I thank God every time I go to sleep because I'm only able to do so because of him. Some will acknowledge that God kind of got everything started, got everything created, but then, you know, kind of left us to ourselves and we'll call upon him if he's needed. Nonsense. They believe he's afar off in the distance somewhere. But God is alive and well today. And that is the center of our Christian faith. 
God is our source of strength for everything that we do, for everything that we see, for everything that we are. God is the source of every breath that I take. And every step I take is because God is still working. I'll admit I didn't always look at life that way when I was younger. But as my body has aged and my back has given me issues and sometimes when it goes out I have trouble walking, I thank God and know it is his power for every step that I take. Everything we see, everything we have, everything we do is because God is still working today. And his son Jesus is working in our lives and we give him praise for that. Now to finish this point, Jesus did not do away with the Sabbath. He just gave them a deeper understanding of it. He expanded on it and turned the Sabbath idea inward. When we think about keeping the Sabbath, when I think about the Sabbath, I need to ask a few questions of myself. That when I work, am I working for God? Or is this just about me? When I rest, am I resting for him? Or in him? Does my resting refresh me so that when I go back to work, I have more energy? We were chatting at the picnic yesterday about the upcoming trip my wife and I are taking and all the different things that we might be able to do on the cruise and different excursions. And one thing I made clear is there'll be a possibility for excursions in every port that we go to. So we could have for the whole 10 days tons of activity. But the last thing I want to do when I come back from vacation is need a vacation. So there will be days where, as my wife pointed out, and we've, we've agreed on this for a long time, we will let the whole ship get off the boat, and we will just sit and rest and relax like we did yesterday at the picnic because that is resting in his power and his joy. Truly rest. We also need to understand when I rest, does that rest include pondering just how awesome God is, how good he is? And lastly, and this can be important for many of us, do I understand that rest for one might be work for another? Some of you find gardening very restful. I do not. Some of you find mowing the lawn very restful. I do not. Some find doing dishes nothing but a chore. I have to tell you, I've gotten some of my best sermon ideas while doing the dishes. This comes down to one thought. Whether it's work, whether it's rest, Jesus is at the center, and he is still working in your life and in mine. He is not off. He is not distant. He is not disengaged. We serve a God who is involved in each of our lives in every breath that we take. God is still working today. That was my first point. The second one. All must come through Jesus. And not only does the world struggle with this, but many times in communicating it, so does the church. In the remainder of this conversation, we read in John chapter 5, 
Jesus makes some amazing statements, essentially claiming to be equal with God. But I want you to draw your attention to one of the statements in verses 22 and 23. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The simple understanding is that God has entrusted all judgment, all assessment, all evaluation to the Son. Whoever honors the Son honors the Father. That could not be clearer. But then the reverse is also true. And it's stated, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Now I preface what I'm about to say with a a simple phrase. I didn't write any of this. I'm not the author here. So don't be upset with me. But it, is my, but it is divine truth right from Jesus himself, and I will proclaim it without apology. After John chapter 1, this is John extending his comments about the whole idea of the Trinity. But it highlights the connection between God the Father and God the Son. And the focus here is on honor which that word translated in Greek is respect and reverence and loyalty. If you honor, if you respect, if you revere, if you give preference and allegiance to Jesus, you are honoring God. If you don't, you're not. I didn't write it. Often we talk to people about dedicating their lives to Jesus, and the phrase is, well, I believe in God. And they've come up with their own concept, their own mindset, their own philosophy about honoring God and somehow are able to be at peace with it and leaving Jesus out. They're trying basically to form and make their own God and make their own way. And God sent Jesus to the world to redeem the world because it's the only way the world can be redeemed. Redemption is through Jesus alone. Our culture says you can believe anything you want. And there are ways in me as a human being, it would be awesome if that was true. Because then we'd have a whole lot less issue with the fact that God has chosen a way. But our culture looks at things differently. All worship, as we saw when we looked at the woman who was at the well, must come to God. Many people believe, well, but all worship, no matter what you worship, we're worshiping the same God anyway. That we can choose the means, the form, the, the set of concepts, the approach. That's left up to us. Basically saying, people can twist it or code it any way they'd like. But they're basically saying, you can reject Jesus and still have God. And Jesus said in these verses, you cannot honor the Father without honoring the Son. You can't have one without the other. That is what his defense was to the Jewish leaders, and it's his defense and proclamation today. Now, they were persecuting him, it says, or informally prosecuting him. There'll be formal prosecution later. And he turns it around. Because in persecuting him, they were proclaiming or setting themselves up as his judge. You broke our rules. You healed on the Sabbath. You told someone to pick up a mountain walk. You broke the Sabbath laws that we put in, in place. They were basically putting themselves forth as his judge. And he turns it around and says, you behave like you're my judge, but let's be clear. 
I'm yours. I'm the, the assessment or the standard or the evaluation process. Our relationship with Jesus is the way lives will be measured. It's Jesus alone. Now, some are going to look at us and, and look at me when I make comments like that and say, gee, you're narrow-minded. Gee, you just have a narrow concept. What about all those people who don't believe in Jesus? I pray for them. I really, really do. Now, thankfully, in measuring our lives against Jesus, that perfection is not required because all of us would fail. None of us is perfect. But this isn't about having a perfect relationship with Jesus. It's about having a relationship with Jesus. And having one is what we need. The standard for worshiping God is doing so in truth, as we saw when we looked at the woman at the well. And this truth begins with worshiping and honoring his son, Jesus. I completely understand how this sounds to the world. We live truly, as has been true throughout human history, but it's definitely true today, in what is a pluralistic society. We want to be... You've seen those bumper stickers that have a cross, a star of David, something from being Hindu, something from being Buddha, and it just says, I believe whatever. And it's someone basically saying that they're all the same. And Jesus himself says they're not. That he is the only way. We were talking yesterday about the Reformation and having some discussions about what prompted that. It was because Martin Luther, back in the 16th century, came to the conclusion that is by faith in Jesus alone. No other way. Not in the church, not in any other philosophy. It is faith in Jesus Christ. That is what distinguishes us before God. That is what covers his blood over our sins. That is our redemption through Jesus. And John's making it really clear in this letter that that is what is the process. He goes on in his first letter in 1 John to even extend the comment in 1 John chapter 5, beginning of verse 11. For this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Is there any other way to look at that? Is there any other way to interpret that? Are we now saying that not only was Jesus narrow-minded, but one of his closest disciples was as well? You can think that all you want, but I have an obligation, and we as Christians need to embrace what thus saith the Lord. And again, I didn't write this, so don't get upset with me. But this is divine truth. And this time, right from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God is still working today. I see that in my life. You know, we've been planning this cruise for a long time, and we've been looking to put everything we could in place, and it dawned on us sometime around the middle of May that we need passports if we're going to go to Europe. So we looked at our passports and found they were both expired. So we, in the beginning of June, filed our passport applications, and we submitted them, put expedited service, and since technically, since I had traveled recently, mine just needed to be renewed because it's been less than X number of years since I was out of the country. It was a lot longer since my wife was out of the country, so 
Hers wasn't a renewal. Hers was, was a fresh application. My passport came in about five weeks. And we were waiting for Lori's. And waiting. And they said seven to nine weeks, and nine weeks is about a few days before we leave. And we were waiting. And on, I assure you, we were praying. We were praying daily. But trusting God that he would take care of it. Passport came this past Tuesday. So we were happy about that. But we leave things in his hands. Because he is God still working. He's still working, church. People, I told this to the guys at my job. What are you going to do if it doesn't come in time? I just said something else. We'll go someplace else. We're not going to Europe then. And some, one of my coworkers, he was trying to be funny. He failed. Um, he said, well, just find somebody else with a passport and go with them. And I said, I'm celebrating my 40th wedding anniversary with this cruise. You don't get to be married 40 years and do something stupid like that. <laughs> and I'd like to get to 41. <laughs> I do that, and I, come, and I come back, and you're looking for a new pastor. It, it's over. But it's in him that we can have a calm that doesn't make sense. It's in him that we know he's working on our behalf. Does that mean everything goes right? We know it doesn't. But even in the moments when things seem like they're falling apart, we have a Savior who is working, who is stable, who is in our lives, who we know loves us and will help us get through. He will be with us in the fire as he was with Daniel and in the lion's den and those three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. Now, he didn't stop them from being thrown into the furnace. He didn't prevent Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den. But he brought them through in victory. And he, that's what he does for you and me. God is still working today. And with every breath that I ever have in this life, I will always proclaim that it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. Does that mean I hate people? No, it doesn't. I've got many close family members who need Jesus really, really, really bad. And I love them. I care about them. And I pray for them. But because I have people who are close to me that need him and won't come to him, doesn't mean I'm going to ignore the one who saved my soul, who died for my sins, and who shed his blood that I could be redeemed. I love my friends. I love my family. But this may sound odd, but I love Jesus more. Amen. I love Jesus more. And he wants to bring redemption to everybody. Bible is clear. His desire is that none should perish. And he can make a way for anybody. I'll close with a story about my, my dad. The Christian in my home growing up was my mom. Devout Christian. Bless you. She was the one who encouraged us about church. She was the one who made it sure there was a godly Christian influence in our home. My dad was a good man, but he 
really wanted nothing to do with church. And um, he worked hard as a, a welder, a machinist, and so on, on weekends usually. It was him, the TV, a couch, and I was going to say the remote control. I was the remote control. <laughs> that was back in the day when we were the remote controls. And usually a cold beer. That was my dad, good man, who wanted nothing to do with the Lord. He didn't see it. He didn't understand it. He didn't, it didn't hit him, he said once to me. He says, you and your mom have felt something. You've experienced something. I haven't. So when, when am I going to do that? I just said to him once, trying to be respectful as possible, Dad, are you seeking him? Are you expecting Jesus to come to you? Are you coming to him asking these questions? Amen. He kind of shrugged it off and the years went by. And then I got married. Uh, was, uh, my wife was pregnant with Andrew, our first child, and my mom was in a car accident. And from that accident, two months later, died. And my father's life was changed in so many ways. He, he, he struggled with it. He, he, he dealt with different things about it. But all of a sudden, every Sunday, he was going to church. And I'll tell you how serious he was. I was attending a church, a lighthouse. It not only has Sunday morning service, it has Sunday night service. He was going Sunday nights. He wasn't just going Sunday mornings when everybody else was going. He was going Sunday nights where there was about five people there. But my dad would sit there in the back row. He was there every Sunday night. And it was two years after my mom died that one Sunday night, I'm sitting in the sound room. And Pastor Fox gave an invitation. And he walked up and gave his heart to Jesus. That was a miracle. Yeah, you can give God praise for that. But he fulfilled the truth. You have to honor the son. You have to follow the son. You have, if you're going to make any sense of this life at all, and even with following Jesus, it's tough sometimes. But it starts with following the son. God is still working. My dad's salvation was proof of that to me. Not that I needed it. I knew it before. And it was proven because he followed Jesus until the day he died. That's the principal truths in our faith. That we don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a distant God. We don't serve a disengaged God. He is alive and well. Amen. And he's the only way. Church, he's the only way. That's our faith. Well, that's narrow-minded. Call me what you want. Trust me, 15 years of umpiring baseball and football, I've been called worse. <laughs> Call me narrow-minded. But I will remain true to what the Bible says. If you are going to honor God, you have to honor Jesus. Stand with me, please.